Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the VSuit podcast, a virtualization podcast that's more revealing than a Russian speed skater. You're listening to your regular hosts, myself, Chris Jaden, Ed Irwin, and Christian Malone. For our third flying solo show, we're trying not to get too jealous of all the partner exchange parties and instead concentrate on what the rest of the world has been up to. How's it going, guys? Not bad, not bad. Excellent. Just, just quickly to, to clarify the, the Russian speed skater thing, uh, you might have seen uh, recently near the Olympics, there was a uh, young lady who just uh, won her medal, uh, and apparently the speed skating costumes, due to being sort of very aerodynamic, are quite tight, and loosened her costume, forgetting that she was wearing nothing underneath it. Um, <laughs> that happens to me. Yeah, yeah, sort of inadvertently uh, flashed the entire of the world. Um, but... Uh, Oh, well, you get used to it after a while. It kind of <laughs> reminds me of last week when I went to work and I realized my fly was open at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good, good thing you remembered pants, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long as I was going to say, that wasn't Commando Monday. No. <laughs> <laughs> Commando Monday, that's a new one. Yeah, well, I, need, I, need, I need to try to get that done in... Uh, in Try to get people on board with that one. Well, you know, sometimes you just need to let it all out. Um, and yeah, if you if you've uh, forgotten to see your flies up, then you really have let it all out. Actually, one of our uh, we just took on a, a new guy, um, and uh, part of our, our interview process uh, involves getting uh, prospects to do a uh, a presentation in front of as many people as we can uh, ram together in the office. Uh, and it's you know it's quite an intimidating thing to do. Because people will try to sort of not necessarily trip you up, but they want to see how well you can present with a little bit of pressure. Um, and uh, this particular candidate had put himself under a lot of pressure because uh, his trousers split on the way up to the office. <laughs> and so he had to do his entire um, section uh, with, with a big split in the front of his trousers. And fair enough, he did the whole thing. So I think, you know, I suspect that's one reason why he got the job. Because... Uh, yeah, you know, if you can uh, hold it together whilst you, you're well aware that people might be able to see your pants, then uh, you know, I think you can do pretty much anything. Or weird enough, he split his trousers on purpose and he enjoys it. <laughs> Poss- possibly not. If you get some of those like Velcro stripper trousers and just stand there halfway through the uh, halfway through the presentation, and now. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's pretty well done, actually. Um, yeah. As long as you're actually aware of it, that's pretty well done. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, so, uh, I'm very impressive because uh, I know I'd be I'd be absolutely mortified. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a it's a good example of uh, you know a presentation. Is if you can do your presentation knowing that your flies are over. <laughs> So next time, it just undoes it before you go on stage. And in your office, do you guys like give him a topic, or he just has to come up with a topic on the fly? Or, or um, no, no, they, they do, um... <laughs> give him a topic, the fly. They they do get to prepare it, so they got to do like so ten fifteen minutes mm. uh, on a technical subject of their choice, preferably not sort of one that's directly you know um, related to the job they're going to be doing. So. Quite a lot of people will present on their previous topic, their previous job. So, you know, someone who did sort of email security would have presented about email security and stuff like that. Um, or, you know, maybe it just would have been a, a technical, not necessarily like a, a sales pitch type presentation, but just a, you know, almost like a VMUG kind of thing. Um, 
just sort of 10 minutes and be reasonably coherent and confident. And uh, yeah, you can be confident when uh, you've had a wardrobe malfunction, then uh, I think you're definitely on the right way. Yeah. There's been some quite good stuff uh, I saw the other day about speaking of, you know, the the awkwardness or or not of presenting a a VMUG. Um, It seems this sort of mentoring program started up. Um, have Have you seen that? Yeah, I had a I had a chat with uh, chat with Mike Laverick about that at the Nordic VMUG uh, last year, where it's kind of it's a name they 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 call it feed instead of feedback it's called feed forward, which is okay. pretty pretty much designed to give you feedback before you actually present. So it's kind of a mentoring thing where you you get to talk to someone who's done this quite a few times, like Mike, and then he helps you with uh, getting your presentation together and getting your stuff together with regards to how to present it. So it's a, it's a good initiative, but it, it doesn't really scale all, all that well, well unless we, they get more people on board. Yeah. Uh, uh, because you, you, we can't have Mike mentoring everyone because then everyone will run out of time at some point um, before you know it. I was going to say, we'll, we'll, ha- we'll have like a, a complete breed of people who go slightly over their time at Beanogs. Yeah, and they all talk with a really weird accent too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we do yeah. It's a good initi- initiative. And I, I, hopefully it'll get more people to actually try to uh, do presentations at VMUGs because I, I'm kind of thinking that a lot of the VMUG stuff is turning into um, more of a vendor thing than a user group thing. And we need more people that actually present real-world stuff more than marketing fluff, to be honest. And then, and that's, that's one of the things I want to try to get done here in Norway once we get started in probably our first meeting in March. Uh, I, I doubt that we will get all that many local people presenting on the first meeting, but well, I'll, I'll see what I can do with regards to not having sponsors uh, be the only ones presenting. It, it is very difficult. I mean, I, I've sat you know, on both sides of, of that in the, uh, the VMUG thing, um, and I've presented as a vendor, and I've presented as uh, a, uh, a user. And I suppose I kind of enjoyed each. Um, and the, I think the nature of the user groups has changed um, in that because they are bigger events with a bit more going on, they've gone, the first ones I attended were generally sort of, you know, half a day and you might get a cup of coffee uh, if you're lucky. Now they're sort of full day things with lunch thrown in, um, you know, plus sort of an evening social event. Uh, which is normally all sort of paid for, and that's the problem is that it's got to be paid for by someone. Yeah. Um, and that, as a result, they've needed to have more more sponsors. Um, and if you have more sponsors, then you have to give those sponsors airtime. But when you've only got a limited airtime, then you get pushed into these dual track things. And I'm not too sure. Once the dual track is nice because it gives people choice, it gives um, much more people the uh, the choice to, the chance to present. Um, the problem is that you know if you're going to go to one of these events, you're going to miss out on 50% of the content, at least. Um, so I wonder if there is actually a case to let's kind of scale things back a bit and make it make them simpler, make make them 
but a bit more back to basics, um, and have one sponsor, um, have you know a smaller event. Don't try and you know tell, bring lunch. You know I, these these lunches they're lovely, but, but you know they're a lot more expensive for a sandwich than you might think it is. And if as long as you're not holding it the event in the middle of nowhere, then have a lunch break and people can go out and get lunch. It's it's not the end of the world if people have to buy their own lunches. Yeah, that, uh, that's what I kind of want to do here in in Bergen. We're we're not we're a small city in Norway. Uh, we we're not going to bring in hundreds of people anyway. Um, so I, I basically just wanted to to get use this out of, as a meeting ground for everyone, be it customers or partners like the one I represent, or competing partners from us as well, and have a single venue that we can meet and talk and and have a bit of fun and disregard who works for who and who does what, to be honest. Uh, it's That's easy for some of the best conversations are when, you know, you, you don't have name badges, where you don't need to know whether someone works for a competitor in that, that you're both doing the same sort of job, so you've probably both got something intelligent to, uh, to talk about. Yeah, but then again, I, I, I'm assuming, or I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried that if, when I try to do this, I'll end up be, being the only one actually talking, uh, presenting something. Mm-hmm. And that's doesn't, that doesn't really help anything at all. If, if I, as the local VMAG leader, is going to do everything and present everything as well. So you need to find some kind of middle ground there where you can, can get actual customers in talking about something or a competing partner in talking about something. I don't, I don't really care. I just want someone to talk to everyone and everyone to talk to someone uh, in, a, in a common sort of setting where we don't give a shit who's who, to be honest. <laughs> well, I suppose in, instead of having, um, you know, depending on the numbers, instead of having you know, a stage and people sitting in front of a stage and someone standing on stage and presenting, why not look at maybe a more round table type event? If you've got small numbers, if it's you know, between 10 and 20 people, you can kind of, and if you've got a, a room, rather than organizing the room in a, um, you know, a traditional stage audience format, do it, do it, put the chairs in a circle. Um, yeah, and like announce, oh, now we want to talk about this topic. Yeah. Uh, um, it also means that people don't have to do slides. I mean, yeah, you can have a whiteboard or something if you really need it, but people get hung up on the, oh, I've got to build slides, and then they, they panic and do something terrible with PowerPoint. Um, or even worse, they use Prezi, which is just <laughs> mind-bogglingly naff. I've seen, um, I've seen some really bad uh, PowerPoint animations and yeah, activity uh, speeches. Exactly, exactly. You know, and you get lost in the fact. That, okay, yes, it looks like a Facebook look back movie, but you know they all look the same. Um, so yeah, yeah that, keep, that's, that's an interesting idea. Actually, we, we could we could probably locally here do something like that. Um, and I I would like to get a sponsor in. I would like to get someone in from a vendor that does a professional presentation in a way. Yeah, if it's something, that, in, that, if it's yeah. something interesting, uh, yeah, you know, different on you, then yeah. It absolutely. adds some value to it. It does. But if I'm, I'm, if I'm organizing a half a day thing on basically the afternoon, I would like to get a sponsor and give them a slot of, let's say, half an hour, and that's yeah. it. And that's one sponsor, one event, one meeting. Yeah, I mean the sponsors are generally happy if, as long as they can get 
because sponsors money is driven by by marketing marketing of yeah. the people with the budget for it um, and all, all marketing want is leads marketing people are, are driven by the number of leads that they get from an event yeah. so as long as they get the leads from it and as long as the people who attend the event are happy for their details to be passed on to the sponsor for that event um, then you know, there, there's nothing to worry about uh, everyone, everyone's happy I'm basically thinking that I, I can get the venue for free. I can use our offices without problems at all. We have meeting facilities. We have everything there. Uh, we wouldn't mind other partners coming in at an event in our location at all. And I don't think the local, our local competitors would actually mind uh, being in our offices. We're a small city. Everyone knows everyone anyway. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But I can get that for free. So what I basically need a sponsor for is buy us some pizzas, provides us a couple of cases of beer, and let us talk. Hang on a sec, this is Norwegian prices, so yeah. You <laughs> yeah, which basically is a, a, yeah, a month of UK salary, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but, but basically, that's, that's all I need them for. And that, and that having... Um, a sponsor name on the invitation and everything adds actually adds some credibility to the event as well. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, you, I was just I, I made a quip about the cost of Norwegian beer. Yeah, which isn't cheap, um, basically. <laughs> but but then again, uh, that's how it, how it is. We drink a lot of it anyway. So <laughs> drink about it to forget about the prices. Yeah, and it works too. Yeah. Yeah, and and if I if if I want to buy some real beer as well, that's even more expensive. So I have no. to go to uh, the off-license store and buy cheap-ass European beer that's expensive as hell back home, <laughs> which is weird. But it, it, obviously, we're happy with it since we continue living here and accept it. So that's the way it is. That's true. Um, so yeah, you know, I, much I, I love I love going to V-Nugs, um of, of all shapes and sizes. They're they're great fun. I've been to some really small ones. I've been to some you know, massive full day large conference center ones. And there's absolutely a place for those, those big full day ones. Um, you know, having one big annual event, brilliant. You know, it's yeah. it, I think it's probably almost more valid than V Forum in some ways. V Forum is just a, a poor echo of VM World. Um, whereas no. I, I think no. this is. The, the big V-Mugs are much better. That's kind of what I, I was thinking. We we want to get local small meetings going in Bergen, Oslo, and Trondheim uh, in Norway for the for, uh, for to get started. And if that works out, we might actually do a big uh, one-day conference in Oslo or something once a year and possibly combine that with B-Forum, actually, and have it the day before at the same location. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and and try to do something like that because that would probably drive people to the V forum as well as to the V mug annual thing, which might be a good idea to combine the two. And and we once we have every every potential sponsor for a, a big uh, annual V mug meeting in in, uh, in Oslo would also probably be the same ones that are are uh, there for the V forum as well, which would make it easier for them as well. So. Why not? It it might be something we 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 might be doing at some point, but 
first we need to get VMUG started in Norway at all, which hasn't been the case until now. Yeah, that's always, uh, always going to be um, a little bit of a challenge. But yeah, I think certainly so the starting small um, would seem to me a good idea. But e even for those more established ones, there is, I, I see that there's a few that are sort of splintering off and doing sort of sub-regional. Um, and I, I think perhaps there's a case, a good case for, for more of those. Um, they don't have to be a big event. They can just be something small. So, you know, anyone can do them. Yeah. Sponsorship's nice, but you've just sort of shown it is possible to do it without that sponsorship. Um, even if it's just a few guys getting over, you know, one stage up from VBiz rather than just meet, meeting in the pub, um, actually meet and talk about something sensible before you get drunk. Yeah. Uh, Works for me. No, I, I, I don't talk that much sense when I'm drunk, so I, it's best, <laughs> best to do that beforehand. So, yeah, sure. Hopefully we'll get something done in March in Bergen and we'll see how it works from there. Yeah, it's uh but I, I got something else uh, all of a sudden on my shoulders as well. We every my employer is doing this one uh one day conference for the entire company in Oslo in March. Uh, and I got asked to do a, a presentation on VMware futures in a way. We were talking about software-defined data centers and all, all that stuff and kind of presenting that to, to everyone in, in, uh, in my company, uh, which I said, okay, fine, I'll do that. Uh, no worries. Uh, it's a 40-minute slot. I can fill that without any problem. Uh, all of a sudden, it's a whole day of the... Uh, uh, they added a track to it to be a VMware track. And then all of a sudden I get asked to basically run the whole show the whole day. So we'll see how that works out. If, if that is going to be a thing, I'll, I, I might have to push back the VMUG thing a bit because that's on the March the 14th. And this is all for internal uh, employees? Yeah, it's uh, the entire internal company. Everyone basically gets invited. So, so you're going to be explaining VMware to, like, say, accountants, someone that works in the canteen. Could be anybody. I hopefully it's just the techies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, are you going to be talking uh, about uh, kittens and chickens? That was one of the uh, the angles I was going for, so I, I might steal something from Joe there. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time I, I paraphrase Joe Bagley, but it, it I might do it again. But don't forget to talk about elephants as well. That's why that Hadoop. <laughs> well, not necessarily the same thing, but about big VMs. Um, that you know, a kitten. Yes, you have to nurture it, but a hulking great big elephant is going to take a little bit more nurturing. Um, I suppose you know it, it loops in with the whole monster VM thing. Um, but you know, monster VMs are by their nature less agile. You don't want to be moving them around. And in fact, what about one to one? So um, I still see customers. Um, and I see plenty of places where they are. There are servers that they could virtualize. Um, that they're not virtualizing. So, you know, not, they're not virtualizing it because it's a 
massive Microsoft cluster or because it's got specific hardware requirements, dongles or you know custom hardware that it's attached to. Um, they're just not virtualizing because they don't feel comfortable virtualizing such a big server and would much rather put it onto a, a physical box. And I suggested that you know that they consider a one-to-one virtualization. Effectively, you know, shim the uh, the the OS, the underlying OS, with a hypervisor, um, just so that they can have the benefits of if they need to move that workload around, they can. You know, much easier hardware refresh and stuff like that. Um, have you guys come across that? Yeah, I'm. I'm really trying to convince. Uh our uh, SAP basis team at my employer to do the exact same thing. Um, it, it, it just makes the hardware refreshes so much more simple, especially if you lost an entire server, you could just copy it, any, anything like that. And uh, it's going to take a little bit more convincing um, due to partly due to why should I pay for licenses yeah. when I can just install my physical machine directly yeah, but it could be a case of, dare I say, it, using Hyper-V for something like that because it's already licensed. Yeah, yeah, but um, in our very high-performant uh, type of scenarios, we're using VMware-only, basically. No. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I guess we could argue about that all day or there's different viewpoints, but possibly... Yeah. How much I difference would that hypervisor shim make to the performance of the app? If it was just one-to-one, and we're not talking about any overcommitment or sort of having to share resources with anything else. Yeah, Hyper-V uh, still might have a bit more overhead regarding scheduling. Okay. But that's my opinion. I don't know. I might be wrong. Yeah. Uh, Hyper-V might also be, uh, you know, you have it licensing-wise, you might have it in the OS, but you need to manage it as well. Um if you don't have the system center stuff up and running beforehand, it might give you some more yeah, problems. If you, if you haven't got system center deployed, then it's probably going to be a bit more of a problem. But yeah. you know, if you've got system center in there already, if you're a big Microsoft shop, the chances are you're going to be using system center somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's true. You might have already done the investment um, in that part. And, and, and if you have, it might not be a, a bad idea to actually do one-on-one on Hyper-V. Um, but then again, it, 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 this is kind of uh, going back to basics kind of discussion. Uh, many moons or years or whatever ago, uh, when we started doing virtualization of stuff, that was kind of one of the arguments we we used. You know, it's, a, it's the virtual machine portability thing where you can actually move it around and you can... Manage it like you would a, a, a file, a set of files in a way. Uh, that was kind of one of the the big arguments back in the day when we started doing this stuff. And those kinds of arguments are one of those things that has, in a way, gotten forgotten. People forgot about that and moved on because now it's all about provisioning. It's all about automation. It's all about taking more advantage. Uh, getting more value for your uh, hardware investments and stuff. But one of the basic things we needed to do was basically make servers portable. That was one of the main goals of virtualization in the first place. Uh, Going back to that isn't that much of a bad... uh, It's a a good idea to, to kind of 
keep that in mind when we're doing stuff these days, that one of the things that we initially wanted to do was to get rid of the hardware dependencies. So it's it's still a, a, a really valid use case. Yeah, yeah. So you know, to move those out, and you know, just thinking of the uh, upgrades. So you know, you've got a you've got an application which is only really sort of vertical scaling. So you've got a box that you've maxed out, and a couple of years later, um, there's a new box available which has got even more processors and memory, and is hopefully within the limits of whatever hypervisor you, you're using. Um, that moving that application suddenly goes something really quite painful to something really quite simple in that you just need to migrate the virtual machine. Uh, to, it's all hypervisor on the new box. Migrate the virtual machine, change its hardware parameters, start it back up again. So something which could have taken months to reprovision the application, migrate, you know, move it over at an application level, test it, so on and so forth. Um, it's suddenly it's just become like one weekend of downtime, if that. Yeah, well, if you use, um, if you're talking like a big database server or something, and you use raw devices rather than VMFS volumes, that would make your downtime rather than a whole weekend, maybe a matter of minutes. Yeah. Although, uh, are people still using RDMs? I thought the whole sort of you know, moving VMFS to 5.5 big VMFS files. Unless you've got sort of recover points or something like that, I'm not. Do do you really need RDMs anymore? Well, I mean, you don't really need them, but in the case of really, really large database volumes, it makes it a lot easier to just uh, to detach them, rezone their okay. location, and attach them somewhere else. Yeah. Rather than having to go through like migration procedures and stuff like that, I mean, the uh, whole performance thing has now been equalized. Back yeah. in the day when I was first using RDMs, the performance was relatively higher than VMFS. Yeah. But now it's I, just... I, I recall performance not necessarily being because it was an RDM. It was because the RDM was on its own disk group and was properly specced for the size of the LUN, whereas the VMFS was just chucked sharing a bunch of uh, a bunch of spindles with, with everything else. It wasn't on dedicated disk group or anything like not, that. Not just that. Um, more of a, of, a, um, of an overhead kind of a thing. Okay. That, that kind yeah. of went away somewhere near 4.0 or 4.1. But around that time, that's when the performance became... Because I, I did all the tests when we put these uh, SAP boxes into place. And I remember back then was... I think it was still around 4.0 days, and I was getting differences with iometer between the two. Okay, but but nowadays you, you generally don't see that. No, not at all. Which is why when we do migrate smaller stuff, we'll do a storage vMotion and change it to VMDK. VMDK okay, so it's just a, a bit of work to have to go back through again. Yeah, but yeah, now I would don't. The only situation I would use it for is, yeah, portability in a one-to-one monster VM type of scenario. Yeah, yeah. If you have a, uh, if you're doing a lot of one-to-one uh, virtualization stuff, you're probably doing a lot of one-to-one uh, storage stuff as well. And then it yeah. kind of would make sense to perhaps use RDMs just to uh, keep them completely isolated from everything else. You can do that with. Even with MPIV and just mount everything directly into the VM and don't care about whatever is 
shared between everything else in your environment if you want to. Yeah, but I don't think I've ever come across anyone using MPIV in uh, in production. Nah. Um, no one some does. People have <laughs> I saw one use case storage controller. So they wanted to run the EBA management software on it, um, which in theory needed a physical box with an HBA in it yeah. to talk. Uh, talk, you know, to to talk back to the uh, the EBA, um, and apparently you could get that to work with it with MPIB if you had the latest version of the EBA storage software, which we didn't. So I wasted like two days trying to get MPIB to work. <laughs> well, at least you uh, you then probably knew all the questions for your VCP regarding MPIB. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly something I could have a play with, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's about the only sort of real use case I've ever seen seen it needed for. Yeah, well, it, it's a, it's a part of the VCAP exam as well, which is probably why I mentioned it because I've been doing a, a, a bunch of the pluralsight uh, training stuff <laughs> to prepare for my my uh, my VCAPs. So. Uh, that's uh, probably why NPIV entered my mind. I haven't really seen seen it in production either uh, anywhere. So, but yeah, I guess it was handy to know where. <laughs> well, it, I, speaking of storage stuff, basically, uh, I had a, a, a customer uh, last week that ran ran out of disk space on their uh, HP Store Serve seventy two hundred, which is. Okay. Three part basically, um, which was kind of kind of weird uh, in a way because I had inst- since since uh, the unmapping of uh, thin provisioning unmap uh, SCSI unmaps uh, aren't automated in vSphere five. I've instructed the customer to do uh, basically a manual serying out after doing. Uh, after moving VMs around, after doing stuff like that, they've been instructed to use VMKFS tools and just uh, zero out the remaining blocks uh, to make sure that the uh, three-par or store serve uh, actually reclaims the uh, the uh, the empty blocks. Um, and then, and then they called me and said, we, we, we're getting this warning from the uh, storage array that's saying that we are now at 95% raw capacity. Now what? <laughs> and they they've been been doing the uh, the storage reclamation and everything. And I I went in and, and had a look at it. And I actually, as an experiment, I tried moving a VM, a thin provisioned VM uh, that had about sixty gigs of data, moved that from one LUN to a uh, to the uh, to another LUN on the same uh, storage array. And uh, by the looks of it, it didn't reclaim the space on the LUN it moved from, but it took the space on the LUN that it moved to. And this is the same disk group, same CPG, same, same everything. So that 60%, 60 gig VM with 8 gigs of memory that got moved from LUN 0 to LUN 1 ended up taking 128 gigabytes of, of raw storage space on the store server. Um, and then trying to zero out the blocks, it didn't really help. So we ended up actually having to talk to HP, and it turns out that the compact CPG routine in the 3PAR didn't actually run 
as a scheduled Ouch. thing. Ouch. So, basically, since that array was installed and configured by HP, um, every vMotion has doubled the size requirements for that VM on, up across the entire storage array. Ouch. Wow. hope they don't have very busy compute and uh, DRS actions going on. Um, they do. <laughs> <laughs> so ba basically what, what happened was that once we were able to manually run the compact, compact commands on the three-part to zero out the uh, unused blocks, the storage, uh, the raw space utilization on the arrays uh, pretty quickly started going down. Um, so basically what we ended up having to do was setting up a, a, a cron job on the array itself to run the compact command once every 24 hours to actually get the free space reclamation back in. So why wasn't the, the command actually running itself? I have no idea. Uh, what happened was that the store servers are, are sold with this kind of uh, remote support contract and stuff like that. So HP support kind of went in and, and had a look at it, and they, they figured out that that might be the case, which I have been saying all along. Uh, and then the customer actually got their uh, store serve or three-par management software upgraded, and in the new version, they you can actually uh, click on a pre-configured cron job and, and have it activated, which wasn't the case in the version they were actually running. So I don't know if that happened now or happened uh, two months ago in, a, in an upgrade or whatever, but it all of a sudden now it's a configurable thing in the uh, management software where it wasn't in the version they got initially installed, I guess, about six or seven months ago. Doesn't sound like a good advertisement to me. No, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's unfortunate that VSphere doesn't actually do the unmapping um, that it should automatically. That got removed in I don't know version four point one or something, and haven't really been put back yet. But hopefully that that'll get put back in as well in uh, in a future release. Uh, so you don't have to run VMKFS tools manually to zero out any any unused blocks. Yeah, that's, that's certainly not pressing. It wasn't uh, it, it was an interesting week trying to recover the space before everything died, and we almost got there before it filled itself up, but we didn't, didn't quite. So they had some downtime due to actually filling up the array. And downtime in regards of like the heads actually dropped from uh, processing I/O. No, or? it's a, a couple of VMs that actually stopped working because they didn't have space to expand on their thin provision uh, disks. Okay, I was just uh, yeah, I was just uh, hoping it was not the actual storage losing I/O from the storage heads because that no, would, no, 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 that it, would it also just... be uh, not a separation of processing and actually <laughs> storing. Now the problem was that which which server or which service in uh, basically a bunch, there are I, I guess a three four hundred office workers or something like that. Which service expands this usage the most? 
Anyone care to guess? Which service is dark? Yeah, which company-wide service, let's call it that, died when their VMs couldn't store more data on disk? AD? No. Exchange or DNS? Exchange, yeah. Okay. So basically, they they lost email once this happened. They weren't happy about that. (laughs) People kind of notice losing email fairly quickly. Yeah, Yeah, they do. For some reason, I don't know why. It's probably all the reply all storms. I don't know. Cool. So obviously, that might be uh, helpful for something uh, to know for anyone considering uh, 3PAR and their VCDX designs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of learned that part the hard way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also, uh, a good question. A good question to to ask any uh, any uh, any VCDX defenses whether they're, they're using three thin provision. Uh, and if they are, what are they going to do about it? Yeah. Uh, but uh, well, speaking of VCDX, I mean, there's just been a, a whole, uh, the next, I don't know, I think there was about five VC, new VCDXs, crowned, minted, constructed, cloned, whatever you want to call them, um, at, um, at PEX. Um, and yeah. Congratulations to them. Um, yeah, very much so. Is that, I, I'm, I'm also pretty impressed by VMware, actually, because they got noticed really quick. Uh, yes. There was quick turnaround on the uh, scoring for that one. Mm. Yes. Pretty impressive, actually, on both parts. Uh, yeah, yeah, it really was quite quick. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the the certification does seem to be gaining momentum. Um, I'm trying to work out, you know, why it's well, not so much why it's gaining momentum, but in what way it's gaining that sort of momentum. Is it because I don't think they're necessarily making it easier to get the the standards to which they have to people have to achieve are still just as high, but it appears to be getting more attainable. Um, and I, I wonder why. You know, you know, now there's there's lots of boot camps, there's lots of resources. There's talk of the, you know, sort of a kind of a template, not so much a template, but better guidance around the documentation side. Yeah, I I, I think that's uh, that's pretty much the case. I I the the VCDX stuff used to kind of um, I, I I used to look at that as kind of a black hole. You you. You knew you had to put something in there. You didn't know what, and you didn't really know what to expect. Now, there's a lot of resources available to you, both from VMware, and John Arashid is doing a real good job with the boot camps. I, I sat the boot camp, uh, the v- VCAP uh, boot camps as well, which I sat at VMworld um, in Barcelona. Um, they, they're really pushing out the information that... Uh, is potential candidates need to know um, what they can expect, how they need to actually approach this, and what kind of input and, and questions there are likely to be to be asked. Which which is a great thing because now you it's it's possible for someone now to know what to expect for a VCDX um, defense, and it's also possible to know what kind of level of documentation you need to provide to even be considered for a defense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, in a way, that a lot of 
I'm guessing more people are successful now that the ratio of potential or the the ratio for successful defenses are higher now than they used to be just because there are more there is more information available beforehand and you know what you you're more likely to know what to expect now than you used to do mm-hmm. you used to be I think that's that's a good thing they, they there there needs to be some kind of transparency here uh in in both ends and and you you do need to know what you're getting yourself into if you want to go down that route. Uh, I have a lot of uh, admiration for the early adopters of the VCDX stuff because they went in headfirst into something that no one basically knew what was and managed to do it anyway. And that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. But I also like the fact that it's now something that might actually be attainable by more people just because there's more information available uh, about the program. Yes, no, it uh, makes, uh, makes sense. It's, you know, it's a little bit like climb, climbing Everest. You know, the first few people that climbed it had nothing but a stout pair of boots and a thermos flask of tea. Um, and therefore, you know, their achievement of getting up there was, was very difficult. But now, you know, it's, there's much more organized trips and you've got oxygen cylinders and everything seems much more achievable to be able to, um, to climb that mountain. Yeah, it's still impressive to do it, though. So, oh, absolutely. But, but, yeah, but then again, no, no, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, in, in, regardless of what you're doing. It, it might have been easier to walk or to climb Mount Everest before, but now you know why you are poss- why you might possibly die doing so. Uh, it doesn't make it make it a less of an achievement that you're actually able to kind of counteract the potential dying part of it. Mostly because you're rich, though. Yeah, that helps too. <laughs> of course. So now, I, I mean, I, I like the fact that there are more VCDXs available. I like the fact that they're spreading information about it. I, I like that it's something that is actually attainable, even though it's really, really hard work to get it. It's it's an achievement for everyone who actually does it, uh, and it's impressive that so many people have but I do really like that it's something that more people are seeing as something they might actually be able to achieve for me the idea it's really this the scariest idea is going through passing the DCA the DCD putting together your design submitting your design having it accepted then not passing at the accept at the uh, at the uh, actual defense panel that would to me that's just that almost like dissuades me from trying a little bit <laughs> why, why is that it, it's very uh intimidating well I, I I guess you could view it that way i I don't actually, but that's just me i'm, I'm I might just be stupid <laughs> I, I i don't I, I I was kind of if I ever got to that part where I was actually going to defend something, I would look forward to it, not worry about it, because that gives me personally a chance to actually prove myself or get the feedback that I need to improve. Okay, fair enough. That's uh, uh, that's the flip side of actually trying to do something like that. Is the flip side is well, you might not actually be able to do it. The thing okay. is, is do you have to draft a whole new design? Nope. The second time around? 
No, I don't think so. I think you just have to tweet your existing one. Okay. Yeah. Depends on, on why you fail, I guess. But every design that is accepted is good enough to be accepted. And then it's your kind of performance before the review panel that might cause you not to pass it. Yeah, make sure your fly is zipped up, stuff like that. Yeah, or make sure it's not. You never know. <laughs> Unzip it and wear clean pants. <laughs> <laughs> Unzip it with confidence in front of everyone. <laughs> look into their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Never make eye contact with another man when you're unzipping your trousers. <laughs> so it's, it's, a sense, it's a sensible rule. Particularly if, it, if they're about, about to interview you for a VCDX. Um, it's just going to set the wrong tone for the... Uh, the defense. <laughs> yeah, well, Ed just tweeted a few hours ago that he's uncomfortable looking at other men in the gym, so who knows? <laughs> well, no, that's really strange. Uh, just some backstory on that. At my <laughs> gym, it's, 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 it's really small, you know, and there's like these, these equipment are facing each other. It's like, as I'm lifting weights, me and another dude have to, like, make eye contact. And it's almost weird to not make eye contact. (laughs) Ed would be much more comfortable if the opposite person from him was standing the other way around. Sure. Then we don't have to stare at each other, you know. Just wear a t-shirt with don't look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, thanks a lot for listening to vsoup42. You can catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, or vsoup.net.